and a happy new year. Why not? Because it's that time. And I think the year is getting a bit happier because there's a thaw where I'm sitting anyway. Well, not where I'm sitting, but I mean outside. It's thawing. And we've really had some triply bad weather for about the last two weeks. And uh, I'm not going to get into the gossip about it because we all complain about it, don't we? But it has significantly restricted what we've been able to do. Of course, this shows the wonderful advantage of having a webinar because I'm sure you, that most of you, like me, are sitting at home, haven't, haven't had to travel anywhere at all to take advantage of this session. Anyway, let me make a start. The carbon reduction commitment, preparing for compliance. The carbon reduction commitment, we've been talking about it for at least 18 months. The government's been talking about it for that amount of time. They've been thinking about it. They've been refining it. They've been developing it. What I want to do today is to give you as much information as possible about where the system, where the requirements are now. And I'd like your participation, your questions, your involvement. Now, at the moment, the microphones are all switched off. If you've got questions, there's a chat window at the bottom right-hand side of your screen. If you can't see it, you might have to click either on an icon at the very bottom, which has got a speech bubble, or a little triangle next to the word chat. And then you're able to type in your questions, your comments, or anything you would like to add. And as far as possible, I'm going to do what I can to incorporate your comments into this discussion. And it may also be possible to unmute your microphone and ask you to uh, give us um, your comments in person. So we'll make a start. Um, and um, well, this is me, and my New Year's resolution is to get a better picture. As I say, I'm identified as your host, but I want to be very much your facilitator. So there will be people here who know an awful lot about the carbon reduction commitment. There'll be others who don't know anything at all. If you've got questions, if you've got things to add, please let me have them from the chat window. So let's start off and say, what is the carbon reduction commitment? Well, it's a mandatory carbon reduction and energy efficiency scheme to change behaviour and infrastructure. That's the official definition. Um, there have been a number of drafts. There, was, there were three consultations, but the, uh, the policy is now set. And I was assured when we ran this back in November and we had a representative from the Department of Energy and Climate Change that what we had at that point is what we're going ahead with. So we can be fairly certain that things are now set pretty much in stone. Um, I'd like to ask you whether any of you have received information from the Environment Agency, because the Environment Agency should have written to everybody and said, hey, the carbon reduction commitment is going, you ought to do something. So how many of you have actually received something? Can you, in the best um, millionaire practice can you just vote now and uh, let me know so so far yes one person has heard but the majority okay that accounts for everybody the majority have not well longer ago they were saying we will be sending out registration packs well they're not going to send out any registration packs at all they are going to send out um, uh, letters and telling you to go to the Environment Agency site. So I would strongly recommend that you do go to the Environment Agency site because there's a lot of information there. There's a vast amount of information there. If you want the chapter and verse, if you want all the uh, fine detail about how everything works and how this scheme is going to be operated, the Environment Agency website is the place to go because the Environment Agency is the body that's actually going to manage all this. If you go to their website and you follow the link to latest news on uh, the carbon reduction commitment, you can download the user guide and in due course you will be able to go into the portal and you'll be able to register for the carbon reduction commitment. But that's not yet. That opens on the 1st of April. That doesn't mean you've got nothing to do between now and the 1st of April, as we shall see. So the carbon reduction commitment is a mandatory carbon reduction and energy efficiency scheme. It's about saving energy which of course means saving money. So even though it's another government regulation, it's probably a good idea because if you can save money, well, nobody can argue with that, can they? But who's liable? 
who's liable to actually become a participant under the carbon reduction scheme? The, there are two criteria. There will be 5,000 participants, 5,000 organisations which will be fully involved in the carbon reduction commitment, and there will be 15,000 information providers. The information providers will have to do an awful lot less than the participants. The information providers will not actually be participating in what is effectively a carbon trading scheme. Let's see what the difference between them is. So who's liable? First of all, any organisation with mandatory half-hour metering of electricity. Actually, there's a slight change here. I'll explain it in a moment. But any organisation with mandatory half-hour metering of electricity is liable. So let's first define half-hour metering. What is half-hour metering? Half-hourly metering is electricity tracked by a smart meter which records consumption in 30-minute periods and relays the information to the energy supplier via a data link. And bills are settled on the half-hourly market. The half-hourly market is a constant energy trading market and the price varies according to the demand and according to the time of day and according to the weather and all that sort of thing. So that's a half-hourly meter. And in this case, it's a half-hourly meter for which the consumption is settled on the half-hourly market. Now, we set a mandatory half-hourly meter. Mandatory... Any organisation which has a peak load of 100 watts or more must have a half-hourly meter. That's what makes it mandatory. Other organisations may choose to install half-hour meters because they provide the data for analysis of consumption patterns, which is useful for energy management. Voluntary AMR, voluntary automated meter reading, did not previously bring users into the scope of the carbon reduction commitment. So that's the first change since the uh, previous drafts. If you decided that you will put in an automated um, an AMR, a half-hourly meter, even though you don't have to because you don't have a peak of 100 kilowatts, if you put that in, in order to get more detailed consumption figures and in order to get better prices because you're going to participate on the half-hour market, then even though it's a voluntary meeting, you do come in to the carbon reduction commitment. So there we are on that. That's the basic criteria. If you had a consumption of more than 6,000 megawatt hours in 2008, then you are a full participant. So we'll explain exactly what a full participant is in a moment. But I'd like to make the point that we are talking about 6,000 megawatt hours in calendar 2008. And all the other reference periods in this are actually fiscal years, not calendar periods. So the first step to find out whether you are a participant, given that you've identified that you've got a half-hourly meter, the first step is to find out whether you used 6,000 megawatt hours or more in 2008, calendar 2008. And the important thing is that this applies to your organisation as it was in 2008. So if in fact you've changed your scope of operations and you now don't have any half-hourly meters, but you did in 2008 you will actually fall into the net because 2008 is the reference period. And if you had an operation in 2008 which used this much electricity through a half-hourly meter, you're going to have to report, even though you may not be using anything like it now. So that's the first point. If you are using more than 3,000 megawatts, or rather you did in, um, in 2008, but less than 6,000, you will be a detailed information provider. You will not be involved in the carbon trading, but you will be required to provide information to the scheme registrar. And if you used less than 3,000 megawatt hours in 2008, but you still 
received your electricity through a half hourly meter, you will be a summary information provider. And that means that you will probably simply have to say, yes, that's my meter, and no, I didn't use more than 3,000 megawatt hours in 2008. It's as, as limited as that, because what they're aiming at is the organizations which are the major users. So who's liable? In summary, those who used more than 6,000 megawatt hours in 2008 are the participants. Those who used more than 3,000 but less than 6,000 are detailed information providers. And those who use less than 3,000 are summary information providers. Now there are exceptions. There are exceptions. Consumption, energy consumption, which falls outside the carbon reduction commitment for the purpose of determining eligibility. ETS, the European, no, um, the Emissions Trading Scheme, the EU Emissions Trading Scheme, anything that's covered by that is exempt. There, the CCA, Climate Change Agreements, we'll go into those in some detail later on, but if you have a climate change agreement, then you may be exempt. You may not, but you may be exempt. And in general, fuel, or rather electricity, used for transport, presumably if you're a railway company or something, that does not count. That comes outside the scope. In addition, any domestic consumption is, uh, is not included. So who's responsible? This is where it gets quite complicated. In a commercial group, the parent company is responsible for total group consumption. There have been some changes to this, which we'll cover in a moment. But in principle, if you look at a group of companies uh, on the Companies Act model, where you've got a holding company, a parent company, then if there is any organisation within that group of companies which falls within the net, then that means that it is the parent company that has to report on behalf of its subsidiary and it has to report on the whole of its organisation, all the, all the companies, all the, um, uh, all the subsidiaries in the group. There's been a change. I'll come back to that in a moment. So, as I said, the parent is responsible for the total group consumption. Major public organisations, government departments, are known as mandated participants. In other words, the government has said that their departments and devolved administrations will fall within the carbon reduction commitment and we don't have to worry about half alley meters or consumption or megawatt hours. By definition, those organizations will fall within the net. Uh, that includes, as I said, government departments, schools through the local authorities, universities. Another, yeah, and the key question is the counterparty to the supply contract. Before I go on to explain what that is, I'll also mention franchisors, which seems to be a bit of a difficult situation because typically a franchise consists of a number of independent companies who signed up with a franchisor so they can all paint their stores the same colour, they all sell the same products, they all use the same marketing, and they have a brand, if you like, McDonald's or lots of other fast food outlets, their franchises. But each individual outlet is owned by a separate company. Nevertheless, the franchisor, the head office, the franchise owner, is liable for the carbon reduction commitment if the organisations within the franchise group actually fall within the network, fall within the, the criteria. So that strikes me as a bit odd and a bit difficult because franchisors, after all, don't own the franchisees by definition. So I'm sure we'll see quite a lot of debate on that one. Okay, now, um, the counterparty to the supply contract. The person who actually contracts with the energy supplier is the person who is responsible under CRC. 
This leads to a particular problem with landlord and tenant. Because if you have a major commercial landlord, they may receive the bill from the energy supplier for a large estate even, or a large building, and then they sell the energy on to the individual tenants. The ruling has been that uh, while in general an organisation which supplies electricity to, to a user as an agent is not liable under the carbon reduction commitment because the user themselves are liable, commercial landlords who resell electricity cannot class themselves as agents for this purpose and therefore they will, will be liable under the carbon reduction commitment if their total half-hourly energy use justifies it. There has been a lot of debate on this and the government have softened their stance to a limited extent. They have said that the tenants must cooperate with the landlords in order to provide the landlords with the information that they need to fill in the, the returns for carbon reduction commitment. But we had uh, a lawyer on our webinar a few weeks ago and he said it was very doubtful whether landlords would have the right to pass on the, the additional costs, the costs of actually doing all the administration related to um, the carbon reduction commitment, and uh, indeed the penalties that they may incur. So there's a problem there. And we also have this issue, which we'll come to later, of recycle revenues. If the landlord is going to demand the revenue from its tenant so that it can pay the, uh, the CRC levy, as you'll see later, the money's all paid back, or part of it's paid back, so the tenants are going to want it back as well. So it's a bit of a complicated situation. It really is. Let me see which slide we're on to here. Yes, in summary, commercial groups, major public organisations, and the counterparty to the supply contract. Now, I said as far as commercial groups are concerned, there are some changes, and the next slide should reveal them. Right, disaggregation of significant group undertakings. What that means is, if you have a group of companies and you've got a very diverse group of companies and perhaps you've got a large energy user in one of your subsidiaries but all your other subsidiaries are relatively small operations then what you can do, you can opt to disaggregate significant group undertakings. In other words, to say we want this unit, this major energy user, to be split out from the group and to report on its own account. Because once we take that out, the rest of the group, all these little operations, don't use nearly as much electricity and therefore the amount of admin we'd have to do to, to track it all would not be justified. So you can apply to disaggregate significant group undertakings. But there are two things that you must be aware of. First of all, you have to register the whole group. You have to register the whole group before you can apply for disaggregation. And secondly, although the registration window is from the 1st of April through to the 30th of September this year, if you want to disaggregate, you have to complete your registration by the 1st of July. The window is significantly smaller if you want disaggregation. So if you have a complex organisation and you want to break out the big ones and leave the little ones on one side, you've really got to start preparing now to identify what your structure is and um, be prepared to get your application in quickly. It's a bit of a legal minefield Different treatment of sales and purchases of assets versus shares. Well, as far as I can understand, if you own a company, if you buy and sell a company, that will affect how it figures in your group. If you're buying and selling shares, then that will have a different effect. But we're getting into the, into the uh, area here where if your group is as complicated as that, you really do need legal advice because this is a new field. They're breaking new ground all the time and uh, you need to know that you're doing the right thing. And the same applies to the transfer of uh, carbon reduction commitment allowances. Um, 
whether you can actually transfer them or whether you are allowed to factor them into your price. And as I said earlier, landlord and tenant issues have exercised a lot of people recently. The landlord can be responsible in the carbon reduction commitment for the tenant emissions with no control over the level of those emissions. That doesn't seem fair, but anyway. Recovering costs of buying allowances and administering CRC. It's not clear. It's almost certainly uh, not provided for in a tenancy agreement. However, if you are drawing up new tenancy agreements, if you are going to have, if you're a property company and you're going to have tenants, then think hard about putting some sort of clause in your tenancy agreement to protect yourself in these situations. There's a question of apportioning revenue recycling payments. Uh, apart from anything else, that'll be an administrative burden for the landlord. If the landlord manages to get recycling payments, gets money back, the question is, well, which tenant is entitled to how much? But as I've said, the government has said that tenants are required to cooperate with the landlords. But talking, as we did with our last session, with um, the representative from the Department of Energy and Climate Change, her view was the government was not going, going to interfere on what they saw as internal commercial matters. So, to some extent, I suppose that means you're on your own. We'll have to let the lawyers sort it out. Let's move on. The timescale. As I said, the registration period is from the 1st of April until the 30th of September. At the moment, if you go to the Environmental Agency website, and I strongly recommend that you do go to the Environment Agency website and that you register for updates. They've got a, a mailing list and you get yourself on the mailing list and they promise to send you updates. Now, I say they promise. I think I've registered three times. I've never seen anything, but hey, I don't know. Uh, I think it's worth getting there. But if you don't actually get the updates, go to the website on a regular basis and see what there is to see. What there is at the moment is a very comprehensive and quite voluminous guide to whether you qualify and to how you register and things like that. So those are all PDF documents, there's pages and pages of them. You can find many answers to your questions there. They also include mock-ups of the um, the pages on the website that you'll be using to actually register your information. The moment that website, that registration website, is not open, it doesn't open until the 1st of April, but all the instructions and the information required are there, so you've got everything you need to prepare the data. And if you're in a complex organisation, they say, don't underestimate the time it will take you to compare. Because what it comes down to is uh, looking at what you were doing in 2008, what your organisation was doing in 2008, whatever your organisation was in those days. So, full registration, registration online. It involves information on the organisation and its principal subsidiaries, contact details for the person responsible for the organisation's participation in the CRC, a list of all the organisations, HHMs, settled on the half-hourly meter. Uh, sorry, on the half-hourly market. And also the total of the half-hourly electricity used. That's full, uh, full registration. Information disclosure. Information disclosure is what's required from the middle-sized participants. Well, they're not actually participants, but the people who are using less than 6,000 megawatt hours a year. Um, they have to provide a list of all their HHMs, confirm that they are responsible for these half-hourly meters. And if you are using more than 3,000 megawatt hours, of half-hourly electricity, you have to declare your total usage. But under 3,000 megawatt hours, you simply have to identify the meters. Just tick the box. Do you remember, you've got from the 1st of April to the 30th of September to do your return, and there are penalties if you don't. And they're quite substantial penalties. There's a range of penalties for things which are not done. But if I remember correctly, if you've not actually got your registration in by the 30th of September, 
your penalty is £5,000 plus £500 a day for every day by which it's delayed up to a maximum of 80 days so you could be looking at a fine of £45,000 but I'm confident that nobody who's actually listening to this um, webinar will fall into that category you'll all be there on the 2nd of April with everything in and up to date no doubt well what do you do well as I said you determine your consumption remember your base year is calendar 2008 you work out what your consumption was in 2008 what your organization's consumption was even if it was a different organization or at least if you've sold things out or things like that make sure that you've got all the meters because if you've got an organization which has got uh, locations all over the country or perhaps on different sites in the same town the actual bills for these half hourly meters may go to different people in your organization so you want to be quite sure that if you've got half a dozen or more different people paying these bills that you've actually identified those which relate to half hourly meters because you've got to be responsible for them okay as I've said there are exemptions and um, we'll We'll go on. We'll go to them in a little bit more detail uh, later on, but let's look at the carbon footprint because the carbon footprint is the next stage. The, your carbon footprint determines your carbon reduction commitment liability. Now, your carbon footprint, your your CRC liability, is different from whether you actually are a full participant in the scheme. The CRC liability is the amount of money you have to pay for your carbon credits. So your carbon footprint is the determination. Your first footprint year is 2010-11. So now we're looking at a fiscal year. Your first footprint year is from the 1st of April this year, 2010, to the 31st of March, um, 2011. And the thing about this is that it's based on emissions from all fuels. Up till now, we've been talking about qualification, about who's liable, and it's based on electricity usage. But the carbon footprint is based on emissions from all fuels. So that means not just electricity, it also means gas, and it means fuel oil, and it means coal, and it means biomass. And this is the basis for the first phase so this carbon footprint is the basis for the first few years of the um, of the scheme how do I work out my carbon footprint well on the Environment Agency site and probably built within the registration uh, facility will be the con conversion table so if you're using so many tonnes of coal, if you're using so many kilowatt hours of electricity, if you're using so many cubic metres of gas, you can input that consumption in that format and the, uh, and the system will automatically calculate the carbon footprint or the carbon emissions that relate to that fuel usage. I mentioned earlier on that... Yeah, we've got to identify the types of fuel. We've got to determine consumption, which we do from the bills. And we then calculate CO2 emissions. But as I've said, the Environment Agency site and the uh, facility that you use for recording your um, consumption, that will work out the emissions from your fuel use. And then we adjust for exclusions. I mentioned exclusions earlier. Now, exclusions and exemptions, there's a subtle difference. I won't claim to be an expert on this. Um, I'm going to ask you to wait a second while I have a glass of water. Just a minute. Right, that's better. Okay. If you have a 25% climate change agreement, you have 100% climate reduction commitment exemption now what does that mean well the climate change agreement is an agreement which 
allows certain organizations, heavy energy users, but quite often uh, strategic exporters, it allows them to pay less or perhaps none of the climate change levy. What's the climate change levy? The climate change levy is a surcharge on electricity bills. It's a surcharge on commercial electricity bills. There is no climate change levy on domestic electricity bills. But some organisations get a climate change agreement which allows them to pay only part or none at all of the climate change levy. If your organisation has a climate change agreement which allows you to um, pay, uh, which lets you off 25% or more of the climate change levy, then you are exempt from the carbon reduction commitment. It's a bit complicated, that isn't it, really? But uh, it's all it's all explained in the manuals. Any emissions covered by the EU emissions trading scheme, EU ETS, are also excluded. So you take them off when you're working out your carbon footprint. Yes, actually, looking at this uh, climate change agreement, it's not as simple as that. Um, talking to the expert from the Department of Energy and Climate Change last time, she said, if there's a single entity which has exemption from 25% or more, then, then, then they're excluded from CRC. If it's a more complex organisation with one subsidiary with 25% uh, or more, remission from, from the uh, climate change levy, then that subsidiary can be excluded. And um, trying to read my writing here. If there is a subsidiary with a complete exemption and the rest of the group has a less than 6,000 megawatts hour consumption, then they're also exempt as well. So, read the guidance. Read the guidance and relate it to your own individual situation. Determining your carbon reduction commitment emissions. As I've said, the emissions are calculated as you input the data into the system. The data that you put into the system will relate initially to your core sources and also to your residual sources. Now, your core sources are all electricity and gas. If your electricity and gas account for 90% of your footprint, that is all that you have to record. If they don't account for 90% of your footprint, then you've got to declare some of your residual sources as well. I'm going to go back again because that now, your residual sources are things apart from electricity and gas, so they would be something like oil, coal, or biomass. If your core sources account for 90% of the footprint, and, of course, the footprint is the basis on which you will have to buy uh, carbon credits, why would you declare more than 90% of your footprint? Well... You might declare more if you could see an early opportunity for reduction. So you can declare as much as you like, as long as it's at least 90%. But if you know that you're actually going to change technology within the next 12 months, and that will get rid of a particularly dirty type of energy consumption, then if you put the whole thing in, then when you actually do reduce or eliminate that um, polluting uh, energy, in the following year, you will get credits for it in the league table, the league table which we'll talk about a bit later on. And if you just cover 90%, but you make reductions in the first year and it falls below 90%, you've got to add other things in, it's not going to look particularly good. So probably it's going to, be, it's going to pay you to push as much as you possibly can into your report, as near 100% as you can. There is more guidance expected to be published later in the year in, on this point and generally on other issues which people will no doubt be bringing up and feeding back to the, uh, 
Department of Energy and Climate Change and to the Environment Agency. So, as I said, register with the Environment Agency website and watch out for updates, upgrades and um, improved guidance. So, the f where are we now? So you determine your CRC emissions after subtracting transport and onward, onward supply. All of it, if you have the CCA exemption we were talking about. We've mentioned the 10% accounted for by residuals, but it's probably not a good idea to take it out if you don't have to, and everything covered by CCA and EU ETS. Your footprint report, your first deadline for your footprint footprint report is the 29th of July 2011 so that will be your actual carbon footprint for the year ended the 31st of March 2011 so it's the period from April this year till March next year and you have to report the actual on the 29th of July 2011 you have to have an evidence pack you have to have a nominated director who is responsible for this evidence pack. This evidence pack is there to prove your figures. You have to show that the return that you've made is accurate. Now this is not like financial accounts. It is There is no mandatory requirement for it to be audited. On the other hand, certain organisations will be audited. And the latest thing I've heard from the Department of Energy and Climate Change is that 20% of organizations will be audited that's one in five so you either get you either got a one in five chance of being audited or you'll be audited once every five years and if it's wrong there are penalties there are civil penalties if it's wrong there are criminal penalties if it is fraudulent basically so although there's not as I say a mandatory requirement for audit it will be checked up on and you've got to have an evidence pack to prove that it's right Participating in the CRC, if you are a full participant, what actually what it actually amounts to once you've registered is purchasing allowances, purchasing, if you like, permits to pollute, carbon allowances, and selling and banking those allowances. Right, you report your emissions. As I've said, on the 29th of July 2011, you update your evidence pack update your evidence pack to show the actual position for the year ended the 31st of March 2011 you submit your annual report it says here you surrender allowances in fact you don't we should have changed this slide because very late last year the government agreed that they would not ask for companies to pay money this year relating to 2010-2011. So there are no allowances purchased for this first year, so there are no allowances surrendered. So all you have to do on the 29th of July, well, as far as this slide is concerned, is update your evidence pack and submit your annual, annual report. The CRC League Table. All participants will appear on a league table and the league table will be calculated on the basis of how good all these organizations are at saving energy and there are a number of things which will weight the results there's the absolute metric the early action metric the growth metric and it'll be publicly available so it's a sort of a name and shame idea that people will be able to see how good you are what your performance is the absolute metric is simply a measure of whether you're using less or creating less uh, emissions, fewer emissions this year than you were last year. That's the absolute difference between this year and last year. Skip the early action metric for the moment. The growth metric, this is to do with intensity. You may remember actually that China at the end of last year said that they were going to reduce the carbon intensity of their production. Doesn't mean that they're going to reduce their carbon emissions but it means that the carbon emissions per unit will be lower. There'll be more units, but the carbon emission per unit will be lower. So that's what the growth metric's about. If you increase your production, but you don't increase your 
emissions in proportion, you make fewer emissions per unit, then you will get a credit in relation to your position on the CRC leave table. Then there's the early action metric. Now, the early action metric gives people a benefit for taking action before the whole scheme starts. And the two things that have been identified are getting the carbon trust standard. And uh, I'd just like to ask it this question, actually. Has anybody got the carbon trust standard? Uh, I've got a question here somewhere. Let's see what we can do. Another instant poll. Right. Do you have the carbon trust standard? Has anybody got the carbon trust standard? It's accreditation. It's an accreditation scheme. The carbon trust goes in and sends people in to audit and look and to see what uh, what you're doing. And you will actually get a benefit if you've got the carbon trust standard. You get an immediate benefit as far as the league table is concerned. But nobody here so far has got the uh, carbon trust standard. And um, right. And the other thing is that if you put in voluntary AMRs, if you put in voluntary um, half-hourly meters, then you get credit for that. A number of organizations are lobbying to say, well, you know, there's, there's different things that we can do. There are, there are different types of metering that we can do which actually help companies to reduce their emissions. A number of people are saying, we have standards which are every bit as good as the Carbon Trust standard. And there seems to be some confusion as to whether they will actually be taken into account. Again, in the conversation that we had over the last webinar, we were in told that there were certain criteria which would be taken into account and certain different standards could actually qualify. I've had correspondence recently with DEC and I've had a different answer. So who knows? You just have to keep in, in touch and on top of this. But the very least, consider having voluntary AMRs, voluntary smart meters installed, because they could actually improve your position in the league table. This is not a tax. It's revenue recycling. Because you have to buy carbon allowances, but the, money, but the government's going to pay all the money back. The catch is that you will get a bonus or a penalty. And that bonus or penalty could be up to 50% by year five. So if you, and this all depends on the your position on the league table. Uh, what date does the league table come out? I don't know. Uh, there's a question there. I don't know when the league table comes out. Obviously, it'll come out sometime after June next year. Um, but I think, as you'll see later, it will come out before October next year because that's when the revenue recycling takes place. And um, at that point, participants will get their money back. But if they're at the top of the league table, they'll get it back with a bonus. And if they're at the bottom of the league table, they'll get it back less a penalty. So that's why it's important to do things to enhance your position on the league table. Here we are. This is the um, this is the timeline. So we're going to register between April 2010 and September 2010. In April 2011, the first sale of allowances takes place, and the participants buy allowances for their forecast consumption in 2011-12. And at that point, then the government holds one year of scheme revenue. In July 2011, organisations have to report their actual performance for 2010-11. And then in October, the first recycling payments are made. So all the revenue from the April 2011 sale, which is one year's worth of revenue, is recycled back from the government to participants. And the government therefore holds none of the CRC revenue. Now, the interesting thing about that is you are making your um, you're actually making your purchase in April 2011. You're reporting your actual performance in July. That will determine your position 
in the league table and then in October they'll pay the money back and they'll pay it back uh, and what you get will relate to your position on the league table so the government's only actually holding the money from April until October so going back to your question about the league table it's going to come out sometime after July and sometime before October and then as we go forward in April 2012 again we actually participants will be paying for forecast 2012-13 actually that's wrong um, and in October 2012 no uh, yeah reported in July 2012 then you have to report surrender of the allowances um, and in October 2012 we have a further recycling payment so it's cash neutral there will be a cash flow effect but the cash all comes back but as we've said some people will suffer penalties some people will get a bonus and then after that we move on to a capped phase that's some way out 2013 people will have to re-register there will there will then be limited allowances in the early stage the allowances will be available at 12 pounds a ton but once we get to the capped phase sale will be made by auction quite a complicated method of auction which allow people to gamble on how many units they think they're going to need and the best price they can uh, uh, get them for and indeed will also allow people to trade in these things because um, you will be able to save up and sell any that you don't actually need so there's likely to be a market in this although there will be some safeguards to prevent anybody cornering that market or speculating to um, an irresponsible degree. By the time you get to 2013 and we get to the capped phase, the early action um, metric will no longer be relevant to the position in the league table. We move on to the benefits from carbon reduction commitment it will inevitably help and encourage people to save energy and that in, in turn will lead to saving money if you're saving money if you're paying less on your electricity bill then as a commercial user you will pay less climate change levy which is a surcharge on the use of electricity so saving energy and um, and saving money and reducing your charge to the climate change levy they're all good things I must apologize for this slide the text is not particularly clear on this the next line says receive a bonus as we've said if you're in the right position on the league table you get a bonus and it's good PR it could be good PR it will certainly be published the government uh, is determined to make this public no doubt it will issue lots of press releases and those that want to can say look at us look at our company look at how much better we are than our competitors look how how much more environmentally responsible we are so that is um, that's another aspect of it and what should you do now what should you do now preparation and action planning well start assessing your energy consumption for 2008 you're going to have to go and look for the energy bills for that period and as I said earlier for your company as it was then because that is the determinant calendar 2008 electricity consumption through half hourly meters is the determinant of your eligibility or your liability <coughs> excuse me liability within the carbon reduction commitment calculate the likely costs of the carbon reduction commitment get some idea of what your uh, what, what your financial liability is likely to be and um, let me ask you, do you does your organization have an environmental management system do you already have information systems in place which allow you to uh, keep a track of how your environmental management is going on 
have a look at um, early actions. Have a look at the early actions that could save you money. Is it appropriate to put in AMRs, smart meters? And there are a number of um, advantages from this because not only does an advanced uh, meter allow you to participate on the half-hourly market, which may possibly give you better electricity prices, but sophisticated metering can give you a much closer control over your energy. As I think Peter Drucker said, what you can't measure, you can't manage. And if you measure in greater detail, then you are in a much better position to start managing it, to start attributing costs to particular departments, to particular um, managers, and to be able to feed back to them what, their, what the performance is and how their actions are actually affecting how the company, what the company is spending on energy. So we've got one organization with a environmental management system in operation. We've got three who are in process of implementing, one who's planned it, and two with no plans, one with no answer. So obviously environmental management systems are very much on people's minds. Certainly the clients that I deal with, uh, many of them are looking very closely at this because it's a way of saving energy. It's a way of saving money. And does anybody have any voluntary half-hourly meters? Any AMRs? over and above the ones that you're bound to have? Let's see, no, one person doesn't have any. Right, so one person does have voluntary AMRs. Uh, I have no way of knowing who that is. Uh, if that person would like to identify him or herself, we'd be uh, happy to uh, talk more about that. When must early actions be completed? Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm tracking back a bit there. There's a question from Luke Gallagher. When must early actions be completed? By the end of the registration period, 30.09.10. No. As far as I know, it's got to be by the end of March this year. Um, so before the start of the registration period. So not much time. Uh, less than three months to get that sorted out. Um, just going back, we did, as I said, have one person who said that they've got voluntary smart meters. Is there anybody that, if you're there, you'd like to click on the hand icon and uh, comment on it? I'd be interested to know what you have to say. Um, no, nobody's going to admit to uh, to it. But still, uh, it's it's interesting that. Let's um, come on. Oh, sorry, I'm trying to open a window which doesn't want to open. Okay. So determine the early actions that could save money. Assess the business, uh, the benefits of the business of having a high profile in the published league table. Consider the adequacy of your existing systems to provide an auditable evidence pack and the risks and the legal penalties of not having one. The um, environmental management system, of course, is an obvious um, thing which will help you build your evidence pack. Uprate or design and implement systems suitable to carry the organisation through the bo both the first and second phases. This is an ongoing requirement. It's not something we do as a project and then forget it. Every year we're going to have to report. So every year we're going to have to um, uh, look at these things. So therefore it's a very good idea to have systems which support an audit trail so that we can see what's going on. And also... And this is perhaps a discussion for another time, but consider the wider implications of a low-carbon economy. How far can you continue to deliver reductions? For how long will your present business model continue to be viable? You may be able to reduce by 10% this year, possibly by 10% next year. The year after, it's going to be much more difficult. But even if you're only reducing 5% a year, there'll come a point where you can't reduce again. And you'll find that it's more expensive. And at some stage it may become prohibitively expensive. That's a strategic question for the long term, perhaps. But um, it's something that everybody needs to think about. How resilient is your business model? How far is it dependent on energy, the availability of energy and the cost of energy? Because that might not be a question for this year, next year or the year after. But by 2020, I think we'll see the landscape changing dramatically. That's a personal view, but I see energy costs going up dramatically. And while you will get a benefit if you cut your energy costs, 
if you've got a technology which means you can't then you're not only going to have to pay more for your energy you're going to have to pay more for the carbon reduction commitment as well probably so i always like to end on an optimistic note but we're not quite there yet from a legal point of view define your organization and you may need to take legal advice on how you can define your organization remember if you've got a big and complex group you may be able to have um, SGUs I forget what that means but it's it's where you've got a substantial unit which can be looked at separately it may be a good idea to opt for that to be disaggregated but remember if you want to disaggregate your group you have to register the whole group by the 1st of July and then apply for disaggregation if you leave it till September or even August you will not be allowed to disaggregate you will have to report for the whole organization even if the major energy use is only in, in one part and all the other little bits use negligible amounts so bear that in mind you need to collect your data to get some idea of the size of the issue you're dealing with if you are about to sign up some tenancy agreements it's very very important that you bear in mind if you as a landlord are, are about to sign a tenancy agreement well as a tenant as well I suppose but bear in mind the implications of the carbon reduction commitment and who is liable for what and um, get it written into the agreement if you look at the environment agency um, website it says in several um, cases don't underestimate how long all this will take so don't leave it to the last minute start work on it now right um, now then I've got some questions coming in here so let's see um, we have three separate sites separately built all under one company name with three HHMs do we treat these as one total yes but you could ask them to be separately aggregated I think but um, I'm not quite sure what the advantage would be if they're all large and they've all got HHMs I don't think it gives you any advantage to disaggregate them and the other question we have here CRC league table for all participants is this for full registrants only um, yes I would say almost certainly because they're the only people who will be affected by it because they're the only people who are paying and they're the only people who will get penalties or who will get benefits so there we are we've now got to the point if you have any other questions then please uh, do type them in if you'd like to verbalize them then put your hand up and we'll open your microphone if there's anything you think of afterwards either contact me personally or send us an email and we'll be happy to do what we can to uh, answer any queries that you may have so at this point unless anybody else is going to pop up with a question I think at 1658 and 22 seconds we are drawing rapidly to a close so I'd like to take this opportunity first of all once again to wish you a happy and productive uh, new year to thank you for participating my thanks to Martin James who hasn't said very much but he sits there in the background running all the technology which is uh, very valuable um, Ellie Hooper is our researcher and graphic designer and um, oh there's a question in here if we are only information provider status do we need to register for CRC yes you do you need to tell them that you have got half hourly meters but that your consumption is such that you are only an information provider because basically what has happened is that the uh, environment agency has got a list of all the half hourly meters in the country and it wants to know what every single one is being used for if you're an information provider that means that you are using less than 6,000 megawatt hours a year but more than 3,000 megawatt hours a year so what they will want from you is a list of the meters that you're using although they may well contact you and say we think you've got this one this one this one and this one you may have others which you will add to that list they will also want you to state how much electricity you have consumed through those meters in 2008 and um, but if you're below 3000 you only have to identify that you've got the meters you don't have to talk about the consumption and another one will this cost us any money moving forward I don't think it will 
obviously there will be costs in terms of setting up systems there may be costs in terms of setting up smart metering or, or sub-metering systems there may be costs in terms of getting legal advice but the whole thing is that it's going to save you energy and it all depends where you are what you've already done but people are talking about saving 20 30 40 percent of their energy bills and if you can save that sort of money uh, and given that participants will be spending a minimum of half a million pounds a year on electricity alone well if you only save 10 percent of that that's fifty thousand pounds that's going to go quite a long way towards legal fees and so on if you save well you can do the sums you can do the sums so moving forward yes it should save you money it certainly should and um, i'll personally be very happy to talk to you about how it might save you money in your particular uh, situation well we're over five o'clock but i'm still here so if you've got any more questions uh, I, i'm happy to answer them but if not then as i said uh, thank you all for participating thank you all for the people in the back room who've made this uh, uh, another successful session and um well i look forward to seeing you on the next one i'm anthony day my company cyber associates and i'm signing off now thank you and goodbye thank you anthony and uh, just to say that uh, copies of the slides are